This is Pastor Mike from Jordan Lutheran Church, and you're about to hear one of our Sunday morning messages. At Jordan, we're passionate about learning from the Bible and pray that this message makes an impact in your life. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father and Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So this week, we are in Judges. Anyone enjoy it? That's right. No. <laughs> no. No one enjoyed it. No one enjoyed that reading. Some of you are like, I sure hope it gets better. Because past this whole read the Bible thing, Judges wasn't all that much fun. Now we're in history, and this question always comes up. If we're in history, do dates matter? In honor of all professors, high school teachers, middle school history teachers and others who didn't have the backbone to say it, ladies and gentlemen, the answer is yes. <laughs> dates do matter. They may not have tested you on the dates. I get that. They just decided it didn't. Dates matter. So let's just get our dates kind of in our head. Uh, recall that the Exodus happens probably about uh, 1440 to uh, 1400 B.C. Uh, we've just had Joshua has passed. We've now crossed in. We're in about 1390 to 1375, we're going to go all the way to 1000 BC. So this book takes you over about 400 years of time. Uh, so just, we're sitting there, but we're really close to the Exodus. Don't miss that. The start of Judges, like we just left Egypt. I realize 40 years seems like a long time. Any of you willing to admit 40 doesn't seem that long anymore? Yeah, see, more hands go up. As we get older, we start to realize 40, that was not long at all. They were only in the wilderness, kind of like a, a blink of an eye. Well, as we start this book, what I want us to do is to begin with the setting. So we got the dates, but let's remember the setting as well. So if you turn to chapter 1, I'm not going to display it on the screen, but I want you to turn to chapter 1 of Judges and pick up verse 27 through 36. I'm going to give you kind of an overview, uh, and if it sounds monotonous, then guess what? You'll have to deal with it. It's intentional. I want you to hear this as we start out. This is a list from uh, chapter 1, verse 27 to 36. It is the laundry list of failings at the start of Judges. Failings of the people of Israel, what they did not do that was clearly given to them. There's a book I had growing up as a kid. It was called Don't Forget the Bacon. Anyone ever read that book? All right. Once again, I discover my... Okay, Ted, you're with me. Good. All right. So the book is a laundry list of all the stuff you're supposed to get at the grocery store. Uh, and the last, and key items keep getting listed, and the last one is the bacon. Kid remembers everything, gets home and forgot the bacon, but it goes forward. So the bacon is, they needed to listen to God. Here we go, uh, verse 27 to 36. Listen to these, talking about the tribes. Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth Sheon and others. Ephraim did not drive out the Canaanites who lived in Gezer. Zebulun did not drive out the inhabitants of Kitron and others. Asher did not drive out the inhabitants of Acho. Naphtali did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh. Dan was driven into the hill country by the Amorites. Did you catch that? Dan, who last week, 10 chapters. Remember 10 chapters? You all said, thank you for telling me about those 10 chapters. I, it got really long and, and drawn out. 10 chapters were giving people their inheritance the allotment that was given to them. And here we are when we start Judges. Dan has lost their inheritance because they got driven out from it. <laughs> you ever give someone something? Here, I'm going to give this to you. I'll come back. I want to entrust this to you. How'd Dan do? <laughs> Not so well. They've already lost that. They were already driven from it. They've been pushed up into the hill country. Now, if you were to glance back 
Now, some of you with your apps, you can make this move real fast. Others, I'll read it with you. But in Deuteronomy 7, verse 2, this was the picture that was clearly given through Moses of the people. When the Lord your God gives them over to you and you defeat them, then you must devote them to complete destruction. You shall make no covenant with them and show no mercy to them. I mean, I could go back through it again, but I think you get the point. Didn't drive out, didn't drive out, didn't drive out, didn't drive out. Moses had told them in Deuteronomy 7.2, you were supposed to have removed them from your path. Now, for some of you, you don't like history. You don't like dates, and you don't like judges. And that was all before you read this book. Now you really don't like dates, and you really don't like judges at all, and you don't like the God presented in this book. You want to know where is the grace. You want to know where is the love. And, Pastor, where's the welcome table? Pastor, where's the coffee? Where are the snacks? Where's the handshaking? None of this sounds like the greeting I received when I came into this congregation, or any other congregation, actually, for that matter. This doesn't seem to connect to any of the experience I've had in a Christian church. So what is the book of Judges? It's reality. It's God telling you the world doesn't look the way you want. You can paint it any way you want, but the world still is what it is. It's a very, very dark book. That's why when we started something like Judges, I didn't have much fun. Well, let's go to chapter 2. So turn now. We're going to take a look. We're going to start in Judges uh, chapter 2. And as we pick there, um, start you verse 1 to 3. And he said... So this is speaking, this is the introduction we're moving in. So we, we had chapter 1 that told them all the stuff they didn't do. They didn't follow Deuteronomy 7, verse 2. See, we're already stacking on where we've been in the Bible. So they, they failed to heed that word. They didn't drive them out. And now we get this. And he said, I brought you up from Egypt. Now remember, this is the front of the book. We're not that long ago. I, I mean, 40 years, maybe it's 60 years. I mean, even push it. Like, this just happened. I mean, think about this. How many of you can remember Pearl Harbor. Yeah, a couple people still living. I share this with you for this reason. That's still in your memory. So this is like the people forgetting that that never happened. So if someone today said that never happened, you'd be like, well, then let's get on a plane. I'll show you. There's still, you can still very much see that. So here we are. He said, I brought you out of Egypt. Like this is still people have this living memory. I brought you out of Egypt and brought you into the land. I swore to your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you've done? Your parents ever say that to you? <laughs> I'm your dad. I'm your mom. We provide this roof. We have food for you. We'll give all this to you, and this is... Straight lines, right? And this is how you repay. Yeah. Weird. I mean, as I get older, I'm like, man, I am my father. Golly. I love you, Dad, when you listen to this online. <laughs> yeah, I know they listen. I'm aware. 
but you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you've done? So now I say, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare to you. God warns them. He says, I told you if you didn't listen in, if you didn't do everything, more problems are coming your way. If you had listened to me, it, it would have been easier. This is what parents are attempting to do. Most, trust me, I realize they're bad apples. I do. Some of you had terrible parents whose hearts were not set to make your life easier. And images like this in the Bible really hit on deaf ears for you. And that's a challenge. So you sit there, my father had nothing good in store for me. But God's goal was, I, I want to help you so it may go well for you in the land you're about to possess. You remember that from your reading? That was another thing God said, so it may go well with you. So you may, remember Joshua, that you may lead a successful life. How many times do you hear God's law and you say, oh, it's just something you're saying, Pastor, it's not fun. There's nothing fun in that. God actually does want you to have fun. Man, when you read the New Testament, if you don't just at times see Jesus and go, man, I bet he was fun to be around. I mean, if you, if you don't, then get ready, because this year you're going to see it that way. You're going to see the joy of a Lord who's gathered with his people. But that's not where we are yet. See, bad decisions lead to bad problems. How many of you like the state fair or did at some point in your life? I realize some of you are like, I've outgrown the state fair. The crowds are too big now. So maybe you liked the state fair in another part of the country. But state fairs are all pretty much the same. I'm sorry, state fair people. They're, they're kind of all the same. Uh, and they do this one wonderful thing. Uh, they serve you food and lots of it. And it tastes what? Be honest. Good. <laughs> Is it good for you? Yeah, okay, not all. Now, some of you are like, actually, my, my uncle sells there. And it's, fine, yes, someone sells great food there that's really good for your body. Most people sell food that's not good for you at all, but, man, it slides down so easy. Uh, I mean, I, I'm sorry, but lard does taste, it does taste good. You may not like it or set there, but grease and oils and other stuff have a way of setting it. And it can taste real good, but it has really bad back-end costs, like your arteries and stomach and other things all kind of set there, and it's you going back into your car going, why did I eat a Twinkie that was 14 times baked? I shouldn't. I shouldn't. But it tasted so good. Harsh jokes and foul language. It's another thing. Man, it can, it can get a laugh, but it's going to destroy you in the end. Uh, one of those great little challenges for kids, kids who love Thomas the Tank Engine, right? And any of you have a kid, cousin, grandson like Thomas the Tank Engine? You remember one of the hardest people to digest who played Mr. Conductor? Anyone know this one? He's a comedian not known for his kind language. George Carlin played Mr. Conductor. I grew up thinking George Carlin was a happy character who took me to trains. It's like, George Carlin takes me to trains in a happy, magical world. Then I heard George Carlin, and I said, I think he's been a naughty little engine. <laughs> See, we can have these pieces, but harsh language will tear you apart. What about God? God's inviting you to be a person who Genesis 1, 26 and 27 is made in his image. You were made in God's image. Are you living that way? Do you actually eat food that shows that you care about the image that you're made in? Do you actually use language that cares about the way you actually speak? All these things come into judges because it's people living life over 400 years and it starts to fall apart for them. 
when you do not listen to God, be prepared to reap a whirlwind. When that whirlwind knocks out your house, I don't know. But for some people, it's very sad. It doesn't knock them out until it's knocked out every single person in their family, all of the other relationships, their job, their home, their car. It takes everything else out, and they're the last one to realize that they've been destroying so many people around them. Because for them, they think everything they're doing is right. Guess who else thinks everything they're doing is right? Israel. In the book of Judges, actually believes what they actually believe, wrong though they are, they believe what they're doing is good. Most people do not do evil things because they want to hurt others. Most. Again, they're bad apples. I know that. But most people actually think what they're doing is helpful. I mean, people always joke about churches. Oh, you know, churches have so much conflict and, uh, and conflict about chairs and carpet colors and other things. Do you realize at the heart of that, the reason why there's a conflict is each person thinks that it's that important. They really do. It's not that churches are trite and that somehow they, do, they don't understand carpet colors. Someone actually thinks, no, this is so important. It could have been the fact that they were on the altar guild for years. And they're like, don't you dare put white carpet near where we're going to serve communion. I am not going to clean that. One church I, I grew up in, when they replaced their carpet, anyone want to guess what color? You know where this is going. What was put by the altar? Red. That's right. Yeah, they knew not to put the white back. When they, when they, yeah, sorry, you didn't know which way the story was going to flip. I didn't lead you very well. It was red carpet. I got older, I'm like, ah, I see what they're up to. But you're sitting there going, no, you can't do that. We can't have crimson or whatever color you want. It has to be another. People are trying to do the right thing. But rather than the scriptures fill people with these stories of patience, it leads another way. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge. So they get this guy to someone to draw them back, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. The Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. God is listening. I know some of you have been crying out this past week. Some of you just even in the past few hours, have received news to go, why, Lord? Why is this happening? Can you fix it? God is listening. He is sending deliverers. He is sending people. Some of the people sitting next to you in church, and you don't even know it yet. You don't. Others of you have been connected to people here in this congregation over the years, and you go, man, the Lord did use you. And you're going, no, he didn't. All I did was pick you up that one day. No, <laughs> that meant more than you'll ever know. All I did was send you a card. All I did was call you just to see if you were okay. Yeah, I know, I wasn't okay. I was sick, and when you called, that, that helped. God uses people. But when, in Judges, the judge dies, what do the people do? <laughs> well, I guess if God didn't want the judge to live all that long, we'll go back over here. And, and they go back again. No one's speaking to them anymore, so they go back to what they think is right what they believe is right, what they believe the call is. We live in a nation that now is priding itself on advancements that we've made in the last 50 years, 100 years, in lots of wonderful ways. The advancement of the role uh, of women, the advancement of careers, the advancement of education, of profession, uh, of trying to mix people together in ethnicities in different times. And I know we're going through a tough time right now. We are. Uh, but we also say that we, we are real important about keeping everyone together and we should tolerate all things. 
And we should also tolerate uh, all religion and all different things. See, th- you kind of get to this line where you sit there, but then it gets kind of tough there because what, what happens when God actually says maybe we shouldn't tolerate all things? Who gets to be the primary? Who gets to really speak into that? How many people think the world liked Mother Teresa? How many people could actually tell, tell me where Mother Teresa lived, worked, what she did, and what she actually preached, and what she would have espoused? Some, a, a whole lot less than even realize who Mother Teresa was, serving in Calcutta and other parts of India, and serving for the most destitute of people, giving up a, this, like, a life filled with austerity, which now all we know austerity means is, I don't know, it's the word they keep using in Greece, that's all I know. Ladies and gentlemen, if we are not careful, we will lead to these same problems. What about Billy Graham? You can choose your picture, but most people liked Billy Graham. Do you know what Billy Graham really wanted the world to do? Repent. Yeah, that's what Billy Graham really wanted. I don't know if the way people treated Billy Graham in his death, in in the large-scale conversation, is really what Billy Graham would have wanted. I think he probably would have wanted just one last, (laughs) in the spirit of Billy Graham, one last call to come to the Lord. Come on back. Repent. Because God is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. How quickly in all these things we get excited. We're now better as a nation. We're including more people. We're doing all these things. And the Lord then uses people like Mother Teresa, uses people like Billy Graham to call us back. And we say, well, I'll take a photo op with them, but I don't really want to listen to their message. We're an interesting people. The Lord's calling us home, uh, and some of us say, well, I'm already home. I don't want to leave. I like what I've got. Or I'm just almost there. If you just give me another two months, then I'll get it. Some of you have lived enough life, you're going, don't grasp. <laughs> Pastor, you're talking like somebody who's grasping. I know, it happens to every generation that we grasp for just give me a few days more. If you can just let me get the next sale, I'll stay home with my kids tomorrow night. My grandkids will realize that I'll be there for them next week. It's tough. When we are burned and fired in the kiln of human existence, because that kiln does real tough things to us. Your art teacher knew when they were putting the lid on and when they were turning the heat up. They knew that. So they made sure that only things ready to be in the kiln were inside the kiln. You don't always know when someone's going to pull that lid down in the kiln of your life and when they're going to turn the heat up. You don't know. You're just inside the kiln going, I'm cleaning stuff out. And the next thing you know, you look up and you're going, no. I mean, realize this image is a much larger kiln and you're, okay. Yeah, some of you are like, the kiln in my school and in elementary school was only about two feet by two feet. God will refine you. And it's not always a wonderful experience. As this book closes, four times the phrase is shared. In those days there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. We do what is right in our own eyes all the time. All the time. If you didn't like the book of Judges, you probably don't like yourself that much. Now, for some of you, that's too harsh. You're like, Pastor, you pushed too far. What I'm sharing with you is you may not like yourself, 
without God. You see, you with Christ is a whole different person. You are a new creation. You are made new. You are made whole. But in Judges, people are doing what's right in their eyes, not what's right as they are a new creation in the Lord who has loved them. Think to Gideon. Gideon's an interesting story because Gideon presents to us the change of human logic to God. Gideon starts out as he's going to fight an enemy of 135,000 people. And he's got an army, which is not anything to laugh at, of 32,000. He's got himself a pretty sizable number. Some of you crunching the numbers already realize even if he were to go with a full force of his army, he's already outnumbered quite a bit. He's already got himself in this tough number, four to one, five to one. It's tough. Well, the Lord bears that number down and bears it down again. And then in this interesting series of events, the Lord says, Gideon, I want you to take all the guys down because they're probably, you know, struggling. Let them have something to drink. Oh, great. And they go down to drink. And then he says, anyone that lapped up the water like a, like a dog. Any of you ever hiked? Any of you ever go down to drink water and lap it like a dog? No. This is not a normal human thing to do. I mean, you may lap it with your hands or do something else. This is also the worst military maneuver you've ever seen in your life. Because if you are a fighting army and you are getting down on your knees to go down and put your head under the water to lap it up, you are inviting your enemy to do what? To blow you away. Thank you. Exactly right. And you know what the Lord says? All right, Gideon, there's you guys. I don't know if you ever realized that before. It's not 300. It's the 300, pardon me, dumbest soldiers you've ever seen. That's the army. That's the army. Gideon was where we're 32,000. He's like, all right, Lord, this is totally on you. Totally on you. You gave me these guys. To which they probably looked back and said, Hi, Gideon. And he goes forward, and with great military tools, trumpets, and clay pots, those 300 happy, lapping soldiers begin an utter destruction of an army that as they start to do it, only then does Gideon then call the rest of the army, and they all come along and finish off an onslaught that started by 300 of the silliest, most outrageous soldiers you've ever imagined. I'm not trying to make lighter. I'm trying to share with you. It's almost comical what God will use. Gideon's a serious story. I realize that there's life going on, but I'm just sure. Don't think that this is just, oh, these are 300 guys who really have it. Like, these are the valiant guys. These are the guys who don't understand how to really fight. Because they also go to war against 135,000. It is 450 to 1 odds. I don't care how good you are at your little, you know, video game control that you think you can take out lots of people because you're good. I mean, I can do the super spin and you will not knock out 450 people. And even if you do, the other 299 also have to do the very same thing. God opens this because God says it is not human logic that will get you there. You see, what happens in Judges is God delivers as he goes, you have to trust me. (laughs) 
This is Judges 7. I know it's not 2, so just say Judges 7, 20 and 22. Then the three companies blew their trumpets and broke the jars. They held in their left hands the torches, and in their right hands the trumpets blew. Isn't this cool? Like, they're going to town, trumpet in one hand, jar in the other, because that's a great battle plan. I will beat them with my trumpet now. I mean, just, it's a tough image. And they cried out a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. When they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord, hear it again, when they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army. The Lord led those 135,000 to annihilate each other. Gideon's 300 just stood there going, we're really good. Oh, wait. Nope. All we did was remind the Lord to do what he said he would always do. I will be your God. You will be my people. Listen to me. The call of the Lord was to be a holy people. Leviticus 19.2, be holy because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. Listen to me. Meditate upon my word day and night. And when the people wandered, it led them into oppression. When they listen, it moves them back. The army of Midian is, un, is decimated. 120,000 people on that day. That is terrible. It is horrible. The loss of human life is atrocious. Do not hear me try to make this a good thing for humanity. It is the reality that sin must be dealt with. That detail comes out in Judges 8.10 if you want to know where we get the number from. Some of you are sitting there going, how do we know that number? Judges 8.10 will actually show you uh, the number of what that army ends up being. Yet, not Gideon deserved the praise of that victory. The Lord does. The book of Judges is witness to whiplash. If you've ever been in an automotive accident, like the worst thing that happens is the whiplash that gets you. Now, maybe you're in an accident that's so severe, but it's just your body being thrown back and forth. Judges shows you people who are going here and there and here and there, and they don't know which way to go. Everyone went where they thought because there was no king. There's no king in that day. So what do we do with this? What we see is the Lord goes first. If you turn to Luke 6, I want to share with you the story of what Christ is for you. Christ is the one who goes first and who takes the hits that were intended for you. When you heard Luke 6 this morning, it's a text most of you don't actually like. You'd never tell me that. Because what you'd tell me is, boy, that's such a refreshing text. Luke 6 is not one most Christians like, because what it says is, we're not actually probably loving as much as we need to. Luke 6, 29 to 30, but I say to you, love your enemies. How many of you really, honestly, love your enemies? This is not a raise your hand moment. Do good to those who hate you. How many of you do more good to those who hate you than those who love you? Jesus continues, bless those who curse you. When's the last time you took a thank you gift to someone who cursed you? Pray for those who abuse you. That one we probably have. I would admit as Christians, we're, we're getting better at realizing they need prayer. To one who strikes you in the cheek, offer the other. No, we'd like our Old Testament a little more. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. We'll change that one out, Lord. We'll go back and set there. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Nope, I'm going to take him to small claims court. I'm going to get it back. 
Because that's the structure we live in in North America. I mean, it's only because that's where we live, Pastor. I mean, we, we have a legal system that lets me do that. So I, I'm just living within the bounds of where I live. Jesus paints a very different picture uh, of life. But the joy of what Jesus paints is he also paints every single day with the footsteps he took and the words he shared. He went first. He did turn the other cheek. He did pray for his abusers. All of his clothes are ripped off of him and sold, and it's all offered. He's not fighting it. He could have fought any of that, and he doesn't. You see, there's no king in the day of judges, but you have the king. The king who is king of kings and lord of lords, and he has done all of this for you. When you read Luke 6 and you wonder about judges, realize you have the king who said, I've already done this. Meditate on my word day and night. Realize that I've done that. You should not leave today going, oh man, I've got so much more I have to do. No, you leave today going, Lord, you have done so much more than I ever knew. Lord, you have been to a place I don't want to go. Offer the other. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. The Lord asks us to continually be giving because everything we've ever received is already a gift. It's all gift. There is nothing that you have that wasn't entrusted to you by a Lord who gave you infinitely more than you could ever imagine. And as we walk now, get ready. From Ruth and 1 Samuel, you will see more of this king. And I don't mean David. You will see more of this king, and I don't mean Solomon. You will see more of this king, and I do not mean the monarchy. Because the king is on the move, and he is guarding his people night and day. Amen. We're glad you've connected with us online and look forward to the opportunity to see you in person. On behalf of everyone at Jordan, we hope you will join us as we gather in worship of our Savior Jesus Christ every Sunday morning at 9.30 at Beaver Creek Cinemas in the peak of good living, Apex, North Carolina.